Filmmakers, it's time to use Soldo. Soldo is a payment solution that replaces petty cash given to employees and production assistants when in prep, on set or in post-production. Soldo is a multi-user expense account that helps you control business spending. You can give Soldo cards to some or every employee, to entire teams or even contractors instantly. Transfer funds to all card holders and you can use Soldo for free for three months with the code FilmmakersPod. Soldo.com. Listen for more info in today's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. The Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 271 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and TV series and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, and a producer, and I'm delighted to welcome on the show today the fantastic Sonia O'Hara. She is an Emmy-nominated writer, director, and actor who has just directed two back-to-back features, which are both in post-production now. One is called Mid-Century, which stars Stephen Lang. And the second one is Root Letter. It's an adaptation of the PlayStation game, which stars Danny Ramirez. She's also the creator and director. And it's the thing we're here to talk about today of the Webby award-winning series, which is also nominated for the Daytime Emmy Awards. It is Doomsday, which is now on Amazon Prime. Sonia was uh, awarded the Best Director at the New York Television Festival. She is an absolute delight to speak to, and myself and fellow host Dom Lemoir had a right old good natter. She is funny, talented, and it's a really, really interesting episode. So much for you guys to learn or take away from this because we talk about how she sold her eggs to make her first feature film. That's right, her eggs. Her own human eggs. She also talks about how she learned to produce and act and direct at the same time and why she knew she had to be a director. Why you should have someone on your team who knows what they are talking about with investors. If that's you, then great. If it's not, find someone. She also talks about why you should pick a start date. We dive into how she got Doomsday onto Amazon Prime and why being yourself can make you a better director. Like I say, I had so much fun chatting with Sonia. It's an absolute delight. And uh, I've been told by the film's distributor, which is Shaked Berenson, who many of you may know uh, from this podcast, but also because he's a brilliant producer and he's the distributor of The Dare, my debut movie. What? I've not mentioned that for a while, have I? Um, Shaked mentioned to me today that Sonia O'Hara's Doomsday has now just been accepted on to Shudder. That's right, it's going to be on the horror streaming platform as well as Amazon Prime, so you'll be able to see it there soon. This is a bit of an exclusive, by the way. It's not been announced. We were told we could say it, so I have. Doing it in the intro, we didn't know that when we recorded this a couple of weeks ago. So huge congrats, Sonia. Huge congrats. It's amazing news. So for those of you who listened last week to the episode with Chloe Chudasama and Leroy Kincaid and their film The Last Rite, it is out now. It's doing really, really well. Take a listen to that episode if you haven't yet. How to make a film with just four people in your crew. Thank you all so much for those of you who have listened to that episode so far and all the love you have given us on that. I really appreciate that, really do. Uh, so yes, I hope you, you learned lots from that, as you will from today's episode as well. Oh, and I just wanted to shout out that Lauren Hadaway, who's filmed The Novice, she was on episode 260. She was amazing, right? For those of you who listened to her, she was incredible, but her film The Novice comes out on May the 3rd in the UK. So those of you who haven't seen it yet, the buzz is real. Get seeing that May the 3rd. Check that out uh, when it comes out. And as we mentioned last week, the London Independent Film Festival, where Dom Lemoire's film, When the Screaming Starts, played. And it also won Best Horror 
there. So congratulations to Dom and all the team, including Connor Burrow, who I got to see last night. Great to see you, brother. And I can't wait to have you on the podcast when, when the screaming starts is released very soon. Also there with the Shakespeare sisters and their film Much Ado, which also won. Uh, it won Best UK Film. Congratulations, girls. They were on the podcast two episodes ago talking about Much Ado. And there it is. It just won uh, Best UK Film at the London Independent Film Festival. Hello to all those I met down there who I'd not met before, who came up and said hello and they listened to the podcast. Hello to you. Thank you for doing that. It's always nice uh, when people reach out and say they've listened to the podcast and say hello. I love it. So thank you. And congratulations to those who uh, won as well, who I met. Faye in particular, congratulations to you. Episodes coming up for you include the brilliant editor of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Roger Nygaard, the brilliant independent uh, producer, Michelle Danner. We have the exec producer, Jonathan Benefiel, and myself and Tobias have just recorded an episode with Lisa, as well as whose film, I Love America, is coming to Amazon Prime at the end of April. And a special guest coming up very soon is the amazing Stephen Fry. Yes, that is correct. Stephen Fry will be joining the pantheon of other amazing actor, producers, stars who've been on the podcast like Ian McKellen and Mark Strong and Timothy Spall. Oh yes, they have been on the pod. If you haven't listened to those episodes, find them. Just go to our website, thefilmmakerspodcast.com and put in their names and the episodes will come up. You can find it on iTunes and wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, so yes, that's coming up for you. Super excited. So let's get to today's episode with myself, Dom Lenoir, and our wonderful guest, Sonia O'Hara. Enjoy. How's it going? It's pretty good. How are you? Is it a beautiful sunny day in LA at the moment? No, it's pouring rain. It's very yes. blustery and awful. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to England. Because yes. <laughs> it's quite nice here. It's actually pleasant. Oh, it's not fair. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We've got the one sunny day of, of the year at the moment. So um... finally. Tell us what, what's happening for you at the moment. You've literally just finished two yes. feature films, man. Back to back. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, it's been kind of an insane last year and a half. Mm -hmm. One of them is um, about to come out this summer, and I can't say the name of the studio okay. that is releasing it, but it's one of the majors, and I believe you've also worked with them, which Ooh, is very cool. That is, I know who it is now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this one, um, it was a social commentary horror feature that I directed and got to play a small role in as well, which was really fun. Nice. And it stars um, Bruce Dern, of course, from Nebraska and and Stephen Lang from the Don't Breathe and, mm. you know, Avatar. And yeah, it was a phenomenal experience. And it's really scary to see something like, you know, come to theaters after all this time of, you know, things just being released as streamers, you know? Yeah. How wonderful. I'm go we're going to dive into how it came about. But yes. let's talk about you, you know, as a filmmaker, mm -hmm. as an actress, you know, you've been doing this for a while. Tell us what your film that maybe inspired you or the film that when you were a kid that oh, just... Man jumped off yeah. the page for you or the screen i suppose for me i'm from a fishing village in nova scotia canada Amazing. and you know a very small place that's very insular mm -hmm. and i remembered when i was a teenager and i saw sofia coppola's film the virgin suicides gorgeous that was one yeah. that i just fell in love with it and i it that was what made me realize i could make films there was just wow. something about sort of the female gaze of that movie that I really identified with. Mm, that's really interesting because your films do seem to have that feel about it. You know, Doomsday is brilliant. And it has that female gaze about it where you're, mm -hmm. you know, you, you it, and that's what Sophia Coppola did with those films is you, she, she just lingered on stuff and it was beautiful. And it, but it wasn't sexualized. It wasn't like, no. oh, we're looking at the, it was all beautiful and elegant and interesting and important. Like, I think that she's able to, like somebody said a review about my doomsday show. They said that even though there's sexuality, it's neurotic, not erotic. And I thought that was a nice way of doing it because I want to explore provocative subject matter. Like that's a huge part of what I do, mm -hmm. but I never want it to be like tawdry or gross. It's more about the people that are having this intimacy than the intimacy itself, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that Sofia Coppola does all of this in a way that just is very like tangible and sensual without being ever you know crass 
Yes. Would you say she's one of your inspirations? Do you have others as well? Definitely. Um, another huge inspiration for me is David Lynch. Mm. Mulholland Drive was one of those movies that I have seen more than anything. Yeah. And I think like I do a lot of like queer content in my movies and mm. just the love story with Naomi Watts and the, the, the woman in that. I just thought it was so dark and compelling and sexy. It really was. Yeah. 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 David Lynch is brilliant at that. Any others? You Maybe you're about to say some more. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm really into Yorgos Lanthimos of, you know, the favorite. Of course. And okay. Yeah. I think his stuff, I really love subversive filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And I think that his stuff, I don't know, The Lobster was one of those movies that I just really got like it's weird right. and dark and interesting. So yeah. yeah, I like weird and dark and interesting, but I struggled with both of those films. I actually, interesting. yeah, I, the favorite for me wasn't, I didn't like it. And I love the fact that he did different mm -hmm. things with the camera angles. I love and the fish eyes and, the fish and all, eyes that, and all yeah. that. Brilliant. Great. Good feet. It's just really, really interesting filmmaking and brave. I don't know. I just, it didn't work for me, but maybe that was just how I was feeling at the time. But no, I think that the favorite is actually the least favorite of his films for me. Mm -hmm. Like I, it went too far into the comedy world for me to enjoy it as yeah. much as I like his more genre-y. I don't know. That was, you know, great performances and I love all of the actresses, but yeah. yeah. it did go a little bit too, uh, I suppose, Monty Python and maybe that's the yes, wrong the campiness. The campiness. I don't love the, the campiness. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes. Yeah, it's a bit too like a Pratt Folly or yes. something with like Olivia Coleman. And Absolutely, the, yeah. and she's amazing. And I, the other thing I struggle with as well is, is robots hitting robots. I, it's <laughs> it's this weird that I don't know. Maybe I come from I just like to believe stuff. As, you know, I'm saying yes. that I've made movies that are unbelievable, but at the same time, yes, I have trouble with a lot of CGI or mm. anything. Like I'm very much a practical effects person, and yeah. making this film for the studio was the first time that I've had to have a big VFX team that everything is going through. Yes. And that was, that was a challenge for me Yeah, because yeah. I would rather just do everything on camera myself. You totally. Know? Yeah. Cause you've used to it that way because you've yes. worked that way. How mm -hmm. was that? Did you shoot in Bulgaria? Um, no, no. This one we shot in Los Angeles because okay. it's a very like LA story and it was acquired by the studio later. Ah, so there yes, were certain things that we got to do in a way that we wouldn't have done if it had been a you know, a different from the beginning. From the beginning. Right. Okay. Yes. Great. So we got to shoot in Orange County, California in this like beautiful picturesque block of these, they're supposed to be these like Eichler homes, these mm. very, you know, glass Hollywood Hill type houses. Yeah. The ones you and imagine, it, right. When you say I yes. want a glass Hollywood on the edge of a cliff. Yes. Right. Right. Like right, the famous right. like stall house or something mm. that we've all seen in images. And I mean, it was more, I don't know. I'd never worked, I'd never done something that was largely contained in one location, not even because of budget necessity, but yeah. because of the story. Like it's about like an architect who's consumed with these houses mm. and wants to like live in this like dome of his own creation and sort of plays with like the toxic masculinity and ego of all of that, you know? Wow. And that's mid-century. Amazing. Yes. So like I say, growing up, you like those movies of Sofia Coppola and, and that really interesting world where you can dive into movies and it feels like someone's just taking a snapshot of it, but it's alive and it's colorful and beautiful. Yes. And you said that's what kind of made you think you could be a filmmaker. How did For you then, sure. how did you then go about it? How did you then find a way to do it? I've been an actor my whole life. And that was sort of the defining part of my childhood, right? Was always performing and everything. But then I went to theater school in New York at 17. And when I was done uh. acting school, I moved to Los Angeles. And my very first job out there was as Faye Dunaway's personal assistant. Oh my and gosh. Yes. Wow. For her production job. company. Yes. And that was, you know, being like just thrown into the lion's den, right? She's a fascinating human. Yeah. But she was working on playing Maria Callas mm -hmm. and doing a movie version of that. And she just said that if you wanted to have any sort of, you know, autonomy within your career, you had to produce your own content. She's and right. that yeah. inspired me to produce your own content. Yes. Yeah. And I went back to New York and made my first feature that I wrote and produced and starred in when I was 25, and that was called Ovum. And for that one, it was a very wild journey, but in America, and I don't think it's the same with the UK, you can donate your eggs as a woman for large amounts of money. And I wow. made $100,000 <gasps> and funded my movie oh my through selling my eggs. Yeah, wow. so it was a really wild 
ride. That's, oh, and that's amazing. Wow. How did you even, how, did, you, did you know this was a thing? Not that you can make a movie off it, but. I had seen it in our actor's newspaper that there was a possibility that it said, make $10,000 for selling your eggs. Are you like a college educated woman between 18 and 25? And I was like, whoa, if I did this a number of times, I could have enough money to make my feature. And it seemed insane. Sure, but that's a very cool. It worked. Very cool idea. And I knew about Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, you know, I knew like doing, doing selling the blood his work bo for, yeah, yes. yeah, blood work and yeah, going on sorts of experiments. And I was like, but I don't know that a woman's done this. So, so I mean, you, you definitely sound like you're a pioneer. I mean, do you, I wonder if there's there's loads of little versions of you out there making making their own films. I wonder. Like, I feel <laughs> like if you at one point if you googled red haired actress New York egg donor, I popped up. So I figured like the egg babies would find me one day or see me on a billboard for one of my movies and be like, that looks like me. I mean, that would make a great meta film as well. <laughs> right? Uh, are you interested in sort of like actually finding out? Can you find out if there is little mini you? I mean, legally, sort of. they said it's murky, right? Because yeah. like I had to fill out when I was like applying to be an egg donor, they're like, does she look more like Emma Stone or Amy Adams? And I had to fill out this whole profile <laughs> and like, it's all supposed to be anonymous. <laughs> what did you take? I was like, I was like, I'll, I'll take, I'll take um, Emma Stone. I have a deep voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's, it's Emma if I, if I, had, to, <laughs> if I had to swear by one. <laughs> and I had to write like a letter to like the future spawn when it turned 18. So there were a lot of things that you'd have to do that were certainly interesting, mm. but it was always supposed to be anonymous. But now we're in a world of DNA testing, and I think a lot of that's going to become obsolete. Just picking your, your writer's brain, what did that letter say? Oh man, I was like, well, even though, you know, you're not having, being any part of my life, like, I, I'm so glad that somebody wanted you enough that they would spend all this money. Like, I mean, it was like, I didn't quite, you know, you're kind of like <laughs> yeah, it's bullshitting a little bit, but oh. there's something sweet about you know, yeah. I mean, there is something genuinely sweet about it. And I like mm. that in New York State, it was more affordable sometimes to get, you know, a baby through egg donation than it was to have like exorbitant adoption fees. And for same sex couples, it was mm. a great option. Mm. So I liked what I was doing, but, you know, it was also very intense. Yeah. And that that got you to make Ovum. So talk yes. us through this because you wrote this and produced it. Yes, I wrote this project and produced it. Mm. And it was one of those things where I'd always wanted to direct, but I was in every scene. So I said, I'm going to hire a director for this one. But then in the process, before I even brought on my director, I cast the project and I blocked the project. I rehearsed it. I did everything, right. you know? And then this wonderful director came in and he was very visual and he worked with my DP. But on set, there I was working with the actors. And in that process, I was like, oh, oh, I'm a director, you know? And it sort of hit me. Yeah, isn't that interesting how you just know? Yeah, you yes. hit, it just goes, yeah, I should be. And it is that thing of, because obviously acting is so all consuming when you're in it yes. and you're playing these, especially darker characters, it's yes. really difficult to then go, oh, I've got to think about the camera or the other person I'm acting opposite's performance. For sure. And I knew that I wanted an acting coach on my projects and I knew that my performance was you know, vital for the film to work. But for the next project, I realized, hey, if I brought back the same DP who was tremendously talented and it was like film school working with him, you know, I just realized that like, hey, I already have the capacity to direct actors. I've worked mm. with a million directors as an actor. I know what not to do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was just sort of intuitive. And then you just keep on making projects and, you know, it's like working towards those 10,000 hours and you just get better and better by yeah. doing. I love right. that. It's so true. You know, people get worried about going, oh, I, I have to direct something. It has to be the best. It has to, you yes. know, I've got, this, this will be the one that will get me through. No, no. It's like the more you do, the more you learn. And you learn by failing as well. Like totally. so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially failing upwards when you're trying something really ambitious. Yes. And I found that as long as I trusted and hired really talented people and let them do their thing and didn't inherently get in their way, we were able to make things that were pretty well received, like even mm. on a micro budget, mm. you know? How did you even get into the the writing and the, and the producing side if that was your first Ooh. feature? Like what, what was your process? Did you read like Save the Cat? Did you go through yeah. that, that route? Did you? I did, I read Save yeah. the Cat. <laughs> we all <laughs> we read all that book. Read Save the Cat. I don't love the book, but I've definitely read it. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I always say read it and forget about it. Yes, I mean, you need to know the rules in order to break them. And I exactly. think that's, yes. 
But I went and found a teacher in New York that was teaching screenwriting classes at NYU in Columbia, but I couldn't afford to take them. So I found that that teacher taught something at this place called Gotham Writers Workshop, which was in my budget. So I took this class and I showed up on day one and the teacher asked us our goals. And I was like, I'm going to write, produce and star in this feature film that I haven't started. And my teacher's kind of like, uh-huh, like, okay, yeah, <laughs> sure. Like sure. she's delusional, like this definitely isn't gonna happen. And then every day of that class for a summer, I just brought a million crappy pages. And then by the process <laughs> of being hard on myself and getting better and refining and obsessing and seeing every movie that I possibly could see. And you know, all those SAG screeners, like, you know, just seeing everything. You just, I don't know, you get better. And I was telling a truthful story that I was the right person to tell that story. So that sort of authenticity, I think, helps, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't starting and trying to make- It grounds it, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, when you write what you know, yeah, it grounds it. So at the end of that process, I had at least the first draft of my feature. And then because I'm from a theater background and I've done years of it, I started workshopping scenes from it in my theater company. Mm. And then from there- I ended up doing a staged reading with some really talented actors, got them all to invite their agents and managers and people that were producers that I knew, got an actor who was in it who worked in a restaurant to cater the thing for free because I figured if I could make it bougie and lavish, people would think I already had the money and money attracts money. And then I ended up like adding a couple producers and then people, you know, helped a little bit. I had the initial funding because of the eggs, mm -hmm. but I ended up shooting a proof of concept for it first over a course of three days. I shot 17 pages, wow. cut together a really good trailer. I hired a real trailer editor, which I think helped. Yeah. And I wanted it to sort of look like an A24 film and we were able to sort of capture that vibe. And then I, from there I ended up getting an investor who wanted to put in some funds and between that and my own money, we were off to the races. I think it's incredibly, incredibly smart. I mean, just just on the the concept that you did. Some people like they'll they'll shoot uh, you know a huge you know twenty pages, thirty pages, and then they'll they'll sort of try and play it all out out of context. But by yeah. choosing to hone it down to exactly like the the best elements of it, and like it, it's so much better to have like a really short two minutes or, or one minute that really looks high end. Yes, like a good little sizzle. Mm. Yes, and I think yeah. that that was all I could control was making something, like I could control the quality if I made it very short, right? Yeah, yeah, true. I love what you said about learning from what not to do by other directors. I think that's great, oh you know? It's true yeah. by, you know, I was an actor for years and you suddenly go, oh yeah, that's no, that wasn't the way to talk to the actor. Why is it doing that? Why are they ignoring people? No, right. There are people that are giving you line readings and mm. there are people that just aren't in any way receptive. They they're, have a hostile environment and then actors shut down. Like mm. you have to feel free and safe to make choices. Otherwise yes. you get really like static work. So this investor you mentioned there, I love the fact that because you'd got money in the pot and it was yours, they could obviously see that you were very, you know, sure of this project, but you'd also put your own hand in your own pocket to make this. Yes. You didn't have to, you could have bought a house with that. Um, For sure. And find an investor to invest in your film or maybe try. How did you find the investor in the first place? You know, it's all, it's great mm. that we get investors to invest. How did you find them? And then how did you actually pitch the movie in terms of what paperwork did you give? How did you go through all that? Because it's really difficult first time. It is. For me, I've been good at social media for a long time in that I'm authentic about the struggles and highlights of building this career. So for years, I've just been like very out outspoken about my journey as an actress and starting to write. And every time I would submit the script and maybe it would get to the finals of, or, you know, it would get through the first round of Nichols Fellowship or Austin Film Fest. Like every time an accolade happened, I was good about sharing it in a humble but excited way. Mm -hmm. So I was starting to build like a bit of authenticity. So the people that were following me were hoping that the next thing I would do would be good. And this trailer, I think, looked more impressive than people imagined an actor, first time filmmaker might come up with. So I had something that looked visually good. Mm. I posted about it on Facebook at the time and I was getting a lot of likes and a lot of shares because it was kind of a topical project because the movie is about a girl who is selling her eggs to fund her dream. Like it's very meta. So yeah. I was like using- Eggs, eggs that 
producer. Yay! <laughs> yes, <I'm> Excellent <laughs> joke. <Tom. laughs> and it had all this like provocative, like feminist egg imagery and stuff in the trailer. Yeah. And people at the time were like, oh, it's a little like Black Swan-esque. And I was like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. You know, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> you know, so it was the trailer on social media that ended up getting that first investor to reach out. And because I had a producer who had made a couple features under his belt, I was able to direct the money dude to talk to my producer. So I wasn't wearing too many hats and would say something that would make me look green like I was, mm. but I didn't want to look it. It's such an important thing. And, and it's so, so clever of you to have done that. But the amount of people that don't know anything about talking to investors or finance, oh, God. and then yes. they will do it themselves. And it's so easy, like the tiniest thing that just shows you don't have, you know, know what you're doing. Yes. It's, it's better to just get someone else who does know what they're doing to speak to them. Yes, I think at that point, the investor was asking me about point structure and back end. Mm -hmm. And it was just stuff that I knew I wasn't going to be able to eloquently speak about. Mm -hmm. And I handed it off. And I think I was good about that in general. Like many of my friends who made first projects wore many hats and were trying to shoot the thing themselves and like edit it poorly. And I was able to convince really great collaborators who already had careers in those areas to, to work with me on this, even though I knew it was below their, you know, their day rate and everything else. I was like, hey, I can only pay you a stipend for this, but I believe it's going to get attention and I will hire you on my next project. And I've actually been able to do that and give them real jobs on things, which felt great because, you know, no one should have to work for like no money on an indie film. And yet it was very kind of them to do it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I, from there, we ended up making it sag ultra low budget. So like I knew it was going to be under a certain budget cap, but we were able to talk to the investors and let them know we were using union professional actors. I was able to get the casting director, the, the associate casting director who did the TV show Homeland to cast mm -hmm. it. So right. then she was put, able to put out offers to, you know, actors with bigger agents at the time and, it just all sort of came together. But I knew whether investors were going to put money in it or not. I was going to make this movie no matter what. And I think people can sort of sniff out that energy. Mm -hmm. Definitely. They really can. Yeah. Investors do yeah. feel it. It's, it's, it's very obvious if you've got the passion mm -hmm. and belief in your yes. project and yeah. the fact of what you've done here, you know, selling eggs. It, it's an easier win really isn't it it's yeah. a, a bit easier win but if you didn't and you haven't done that you still have to be so passionate and believe in your project that as if you were telling a, a story about how you won gold medal in a a, a go-karting contest to your you yes. know what i mean when you were a kid and you go yeah. no no and i turned the corner you've got to be did that did you win that medal giles is yeah this, i did i've got it here actually. <laughs> he's like i definitely yeah. won that so, yeah. I say that, yeah. <laughs> so specific so, so specific there it is look he's at that gold medal he's, he's been done like yes. four, 400 episodes of the podcast and he's been waiting for that moment <laughs> <laughs> but it is you have to do that i think people think someone else will do it or i shouldn't be passionate but it rubs off it's like when people it are does. talking to you about their projects or you dom you you can't help but be enthused when someone's going no man this is great i'm gonna do this and mm -hmm. obviously there's no point in being over the top about it but you're genuinely excited yes and sincerity is contagious yes, it's huge. you know yeah yeah and it is like when you're pitching anything, the one you're most passionate about, the one you care about the most, it'll be always the one that they say, that's the one you want to do really, isn't it? Yes. And that says it all. You have to want to do this with so much, especially when you're speaking to investors. It's a very different energy as well when you're saying to them, I'm doing this project do you want to be one of the people that gets in on it? It's like mm. they've got a chance to get in on something versus <laughs> I need you to make my film. And if not, it's all going to fall apart. And then, then it's yes. like, well, there's a lot of pressure putting on, isn't it? And that desperation, I think, is really repugnant. Otherwise, like you said, it's like you're going to make a cool thing. Do they want to be involved? It's great if they do. But mm -hmm. if not, the show will go on, you know, yeah. and then people experience FOMO. I think they're like, oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Yes, they totally do. How did you get it sold? How did you then get the film out there into the world? Because that's, you know, it's one thing raising the money and well, right, making it, which is really hard. But then the yeah. really hard bit is actually getting people to watch it. I know. And that was tough. And that was one that you can tell a first time filmmaker that they're not going to get into like Sundance or Tribeca and no one will believe it. Like we mm -hmm. all have the hubris to think yeah. that no matter what, we're going to defy the odds. Totally. Every time. And when you don't get into those first couple festivals, but then you do get into some good mid-tier festivals mm -hmm. that still have distributors, there's like you're dealing with like heartbreak and then 
excitement for the opportunity that you are presented with. And we got into some cool mid-tier festivals and there just happened to be a sales agent in the audience and they liked it and they thought that, you know, it was something marketable enough. And then Tribeca came in and bought it for their streaming platform and then it got a whole second life. And that was surprising and nice. And Very exciting. Then I was so exhausted at the end of that process that I was like, oh God, I'm just going to go back to auditioning, like making projects like this. It's just exhausting. And yes. then I wrote a pilot and had someone in my writing class say, oh, darling, you need a house in the Catskills. I just happened to have one. And she let us go <laughs> shoot this thing for no money in the forest. And that was my show Doomsday. And that was the thing wow. that ended up you know, helping me break in and getting the, the daytime Emmy nomination and sort of changing my life. And that is incredibly exciting on, on the Thank Emmy you. nomination. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. it's so cool. Fan mail. Fan mail. Sponsored by Soldo. Hello, Toby. Tell us which famous person wrote to us this week. We got tons of fan mails this week. Of course we did. As usual. Yeah, and one letter stood out the most, actually, from a Mr. Kruger. Kruger? Freddy Kruger. You may know him okay. from the Nightmare on Elm Street films. They were quite popular in the 90s. He hasn't worked since. Oh, it must have been a nightmare for him. Yeah, he was quite burned out after all the sequels. Mm. He took some time off and wrote his own drama. Oh, wow. He wants to do a remake of Atwood Scissorhands, actually. But before, he wants to do another remake of uh, Alice in Wonderland. You must have always dreamt of doing that. And as we at the Filmmakers Pod are the forefront of indie filmmaking, he has asked us for help. Can we help? Well, of course we can, because we use Soldo. What's Soldo? I'm so glad you asked, Toby. Soldo is a payment solution that replaces petty cash given to employees or production assistants. You'll be able to track spending real-time, instantly transfer funds to all cardholders for free. Establish budgets and rules and so much more. Get three months for free by using the code FILMMAKERSPOD. Welcome to Wonderland, Alice. Well, thank you for getting in touch with us, Freddy. Let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can make your dreams come true. And join us next week to find out which famous person needs our help. (laughs) (laughs) How did you jump from film into TV? I mean, some some people find it very difficult. It sounds like you just leapt across. Like, what, what was that kind of thought process? I think I have a desire to be at the helm of like an HBO prestige drama series. Like that's one of my biggest goals to make like great, beautiful, Mm. dark, provocative TV and have a story that's ongoing. And after making this feature and it doing okay, it felt sort of sad that I couldn't continue to make stuff with my same collaborators. So the idea of making something where I could continue to like have these characters evolve over potentially multiple seasons was just really appealing after making a one-off a movie Mm. is so you're just done you know and i it felt like i wanted to keep putting all of this energy into something that could be a little more ongoing yes let's talk about doomsday let's talk about it do you want to tell our listeners what it is and we can drop the trailer in absolutely um it is an hour-long drama about a matriarchal cult in the catskills and it explores how youthful idealism can evolve into deadly extremism in this jim jones style cult when i said this was a yoga retreat i was sort of not telling the truth are helping them. You are saving them. Repeat after me. We are not doing anything wrong. We are not doing anything wrong. What do we do? We kill her. So dark and weird and definitely fun. And very atmospheric from from looking at the trailer as well. Yeah. Thank you. I loved it. I thought it was really, really well, well made. I thought it was really interesting. And I wanted to ask, was the first season a couple of years or the second? Was there a gap between the two seasons? And it's an interesting thing because you can see the actors sort of aging a little. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you end up having like a bunch of fresh faced 25 year olds and then you come back like late 20s, like a little more like grizzled. And we always joke about that when we're, you know, doing it. But we shot the multiple episodes. We just went back every year for a few years to shoot in this same cottage in the Catskills with the same actors 
And it was like returning to summer camp. It was so much fun. You did that every year, you say? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it was like over the course of four years. Oh my God, that must have been amazing. So much fun. And it's really cool to see actors breaking out of it now. Like one actress, Alice Kremelberg, is the star of the new season of The Sinner. Yeah, Yeah, she's amazing in The Sinner. And she's so, so good. So it's great. It's great to see people break out and like get success. And like, I'm like, I saw you win, you know? Yes. Yeah, you helped that process. And you just true. It's true. How did it, so how did it come about then? Obviously this wonderful lady said, hey, I have a house in the Catskills. Great. (laughs) Use it. Yeah, come use it. I sound like, at the moment, I sound like Daffy Duck. No, Pluto, it's Pluto. Hey. (laughs) Just for my clarity, where is is it the cat skills or the the cat hills? Are there loads of cats um, there? Loads of cats. That's what did my voice in. I'm just imagining like a hill of cats. That's amazing. The Catskill Mountains in upstate New York. It's sort of this like lovely. Yeah, it's cool. really it's famous, Tom. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like really famous, Tom. <laughs> well, I'm going to go visit next it's time. It's a bit like explaining the London Eye or something. It's like, what is the London Eye? Tell me about it. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, it's featured in so many things. Wasn't it's it? Going to go and retreat now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been like in so many movies, hasn't it? The Catskills. Yeah. We're going to yeah. the Catskills. And you'll hear it all the time now, Dom. You'll be like, oh, fucking hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So this lovely old lady said, you can have my house in the Catskills. Right? Like that. I don't think she realized that my like 15 like millennial actors were going to like descend upon the place. Literally. And I know. And like, we were like sleeping bags, like living like a cult, like total micro budget (laughs) filmmaking. At one point we had like the chef and she didn't know how to make vegan food. And we're like, you know, remote. like. I, and everyone's just like eating tofu every day and she just doesn't, she's refusing to like make this food and she Get like out. left Kill dramatically. <laughs> yeah. And then the actors ended up banding together and like cooking their own food. And like, I, we became sort of a cult while we portrayed one. It was really fun. Uh, of course, no human sacrifices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a few. <laughs> a few, just a few, but we don't talk about them. <laughs> the, the old lady, in fact. <laughs> I, don't kill me. <laughs> I'm not a real dog. Oh. Um, <laughs> so how did it actually come about? You know, the, yes. the the whole idea of it, it's brilliant. The fact that you got the cast together, the fact that you just went, fuck it, let's go shoot this. I decided for that one that I knew that I could do it with more favors than I'd done with Ovum. And that because it was contained and we would go up and shoot each episode over 14 days in this cabin in the woods, mm-hmm. that it became me and three other producers who were also actors in the project all went in equally on money and just decided we were going to have like equal ownership and do it on a contained budget. And I was able to convince like sound people and DPs. I was like, look at this like hot group of like hipsters who are going into the forest. Like, come shoot our movie. (laughs) Yeah. Did you find it kind of took any of the pressure off by having a couple of producers? Because I I find like as you start to build up this kind of core team, especially on the producing side or the producer director team, it's like there's there's more people that can kind of get past that. This is impossible and get into that. Okay, this is happening. Yes. And because they were some of the same people I'd worked with on my feature before that compared to a feature an hour of TV didn't seem impossible and we'd made something before. So we all just believed we could do it because we had done it. So everyone had this sort of can do attitude of like, yeah, let's just do this. Like we'll make it work. It was like all hands on deck. Everyone's doing everything for that one. I was making my directorial debut and I knew I had more, you know, on my shoulder for that. And I just had other producers who were helping in every way they could and were putting out fires and it was, like very supportive. And it was the most fun I've ever had on a set, Mm. which it was just cool people making art. We were all excited about it and believed in it. And it was like everyone going and like skinny dipping in the lake on their day off. Like it was like a really like carefree fun experience. Did the whole location add quite a lot to that whole experience? Like, yes, the location felt like a character, you know? Mm. So it was just such a cool idyllic place. Though the locals were weird with us. Like they saw us as like this like strange band of gypsies in this mm. town that wasn't, you know, they didn't maybe love they us were the being cult. there. Yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, they were like, how dare these lot portray cult people? That's not how we are. <laughs> right, exactly. How did the money come about for it then? How did you sort of, like you say, just, it sounds like brilliant. It's like, yeah, I would have loved to be involved as an actor. It's one of those things back in the day. You're going, oh yeah, please let me do that. That sounds amazing. But how did yeah. you, because it's one thing, like say saying, I'm going to go do that and someone's got mm-hmm. a house somewhere, but actually then writing it, preparing it, bringing producers on, all that kind of stuff. How did you 
do that? What what was kind of was it, was it just like a roller coaster that you were just like we're going on this journey, we're doing it? I always pick dates and make them concrete, so I'm forced to do a thing. Like I'm a very goal oriented mm. human. Like the lock screen on my phone is always like my New Year's resolutions that are all career goals. Like everything, like cool. I set these things out and I picked the dates that I was going to shoot it. I got the house and then I sort of re reverse engineered it and was like, okay, this uh -huh. is the to do list of every single thing we need to accomplish in order to get a, all of our actors into the cat skills in a hippie van to start shooting. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I just like broke it down logically of like, okay, how little can we spend on food, but still have our crew happy and fed? How mm -hmm. many people can we fit in this house? Just, you know, I would love to have a bigger crew, but I think we had a pretty tiny skeleton crew on that one. And it was just figuring out schedules and convincing people to do things for favors. And I don't know, like I didn't imagine that this would be the show that mm. would take me all over the world and go to some cool festivals. Like I just, you're just making a labor of love and everyone's on board and you just, we just sort of found a way and we just did it for just so affordably. Like I've never made anything that cheap. Like it was like really like you're paying a stipend to your like very small skeleton crew. And then actors were working for deferred pay on that one. And it was like, people were just taking a risk. Like, it was, it was amazing. That's great. And that's testament to you, the person you are, because people wouldn't do it if you weren't the person you are. You, you seem like a lovely, nice person. And they, they'd just go, yeah, I don't know if I've Amazing you. cult leader. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Basically, <laughs> that's you, what you. you are. You mentioned there about, you know, the fact that you were directing for the first time. How yeah. did you plan it? How did you, be, because you're directing, producing, you're doing, yeah, even though you acting, had a team, there's you, a lot. And you're acting. How yeah. did you plan that in your head to know what shots you want? Because it is really well shot it's well directed you know and this is your Thank debut you. it's really cool i mean i worked i have this dp dan mcbride my cinematographer was incredible and we just mm -hmm. would sit down in brooklyn every day and shot list every moment we knew exactly how we wanted things to look and we'd do location scouts and we'd take as many pictures as we could of everything so things were sort of pre-blocked and we knew what it would look like Perfect. and then you do yeah. all of that work beforehand and then you sort of have to let it go because there were times on set that, you know, you're losing sun or whatever unforeseen battery issue or something and things can't go the way that you want. And then you just have to fly by the seat of your pants and that worked too. But we mm -hmm. were in alignment with what we wanted it to visually look like. And I don't know, there were times that I'm acting in something and then I'm like jumping out from behind the camera to like, you know, tweak something or talk to somebody or do it better. <laughs> <laughs> you all have your moments, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> do you kind of, um, you know, with that whole cinematography and the acting relationship, mm -hmm. you said you sort of plan out the, you know, the visuals with your 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 DP in advance. Yes. On the day, like how how much flexibility is there? Like if if the actors are feeling like they want to improvise, like movements and uh, blocking, especially, like do you do you just try and keep the same kind of visual? mood and and work around the actors or do you try and give direction to get the actors to work around shots you've specifically planned more you know like blocking is one of those things that i can have an idea exactly how i want it to go and then you get there and you're staging it and it just feels stilted and it's not working and i think you just have to like let that go and there were times that we had like this like sick dolly shot and then you can't it's just not working and something is like would be visual but maybe not a good storytelling device mm. and and my DP would get like a little grumbly about that, but you just like have to let that go. Yeah. And I got better at being like, okay, I had this idea and this was my vision, but it didn't work. So we have to try something else. And there were whole sequences in it where there's like movement and dance elements. And I had all of these actors who had done top drama schools and I sort of let them be their weird nature baby selves. And we're able to sort of capture that, I think authentically cool. and I let them do what they do best yeah so. and and they do everyone comes across in it brilliantly how oh, did you oh. direct yourself how did you mm. sort of feel what you were doing again did you trust Dan a lot to give you some stuff but also it's really difficult isn't it to to do but I've done both it's really hard to act it and is. direct and that was why I wrote myself a supporting role in this like I'm in a lot mm. of it but there were still I wanted chunks of time that I wasn't in front of camera and I, because these all were people that were in a theater company with me, we had a bit of like an actor troupe thing going on. And we did a lot of rehearsals beforehand. And I was able to, we would do these like dorky, like Meisner scene things before we'd go into it and do repetitions. Oh, so repetitions we'd great, feel yeah. connected. 
And that felt great. And I try to not direct myself when I'm acting and I will trust, I trusted one of the other actors that was in it to sort of be my makeshift coach. So I wasn't mm. ever backseat directing when I was in it because I think you can just see an actor doing that. And I, mm. I hate that. Sometimes people have the DP, but sometimes it's like another actor. Sometimes it's like the AD, but you chose another actor to kind of give you that, that other perspective. So you, I guess you can lose yourself in the performance. Yeah, my DP doesn't really love actors. Like he thinks of us as like, you know, beautiful moving props. So I never yeah. really trust him with performance. And he will yeah, tell you that yeah, like, yeah. he's like, that's what Sonia does. She's good with the actors. And and do you ever watch the, the performances afterwards? Or do you just generally allow your other actor to kind of give you that feedback and occasionally check something on the set? I mean, I will watch playback of one of the takes to see that I'm hitting my mark and that the general vibe of the scene is great. But if I have other scenes to do that day, I try not to focus too much because then also there's like a vanity and a self-consciousness mm, that yeah. takes over and I don't want to be concerned with what I look like. Or I might want to do another take because I'm like, oh, I have a double chin. Like this mm -hmm. is unflattering. Yeah. And I try to like get out of that and just watch the other person's coverage and trust. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. Otherwise you could suddenly start worrying about yourself and it just becomes yes. this horrible mental thing in your head forever. Yeah, and I don't think it's useful. And then... Uh, obviously, it sounded like brilliant shooting it. Talk about the selling of it then and getting it out there yes. onto the world and the fact that it's now everyone's seen it, talking about it, and it's buzzing. Yeah. What, what, what happened from you guys just going out to this lovely old lady's, you know, place in the Catskills to suddenly look where it's at? It was a wild thing because film festivals, I don't believe, are largely a meritocracy. You are against films like Sundance doesn't have a budget cap, right? Like you're against studio mm. films masquerading as indies. But now yeah. that a lot of the film festivals have TV, specific like indie television segments there aren't many people making independent television pilots and mm -hmm. if they are doing it they're often making short form comedy or like a version of like girls and sex in the city like a few yes. friends like hijinks blah 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 and it's all sort of the <laughs> same stuff yeah and, because that's all they can afford yeah totally right and it's yeah. actors writing about being actors or they think they can afford yes and everything is like white walls in their like crappy studio apartment like it just isn't very visually compelling even if the mm. writing is sharp right so i'd made something that was a little outside the box i'd made an hour-long pilot as opposed to like the you know a mini web series type thing and mm. then i started to look up shows like high maintenance and insecure that it started as web pilots. And I said, yeah. where have they gone? What have they done? And I saw that they had won things at the Webbies and the Streamy Awards. So I said, screw it, I'm gonna submit my show. And then we broke through and got these nominations against bigger shows. And I was like, oh, maybe we have mm. something here. And then we got into this um, festival called the New York Television Festival. And that was the huge Milestone. Game changer for me because they brought in execs from HBO and Netflix and I ended up getting meetings with all of the streamers. And from wow. there, I met a woman at HBO who said she loved it, but she was like, okay, you need reps. I can't do anything with it unless you have literary representation. Really? And then I said, okay, interesting. She's like, we don't, it's yeah. like an unsolicited submission. Even if we love it, I, we can't make we need you to have things in the traditional system for next steps. That's a shame, so, isn't it? So I left the festival and I wasn't deterred at all by that. I was like, well, I'm going to get well, reps. Get a literary agent then. Yeah. All right. Let's yes. Do it. And then the next day I made such like the rookie mood, a uh, rookie move of calling um, WME, the William Morris agency, <laughs> and like asking to speak to the packaging department because I said like, hey, I have something that HBO is potentially interested in, not knowing any of the steps and they like transferred me to the mail room. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Are you looking <laughs> for a job? <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, there has to be another way in. Oh and God. then because of this, the traction I was getting with the show, I got asked to speak at the South by Southwest, you know, film festival. Mm -hmm. And when I was there, I decided to write unsolicited emails to the big agencies. One of them agreed to meet with me. And then I wrote to all the others saying, hey, I have a meeting with ICM. Do you want to meet with me? And then I ended up getting offers from a bunch of them and ended up signing with WME, who was, you know, the very place that I had called and harassed their mailroom. So it came full circle, <laughs> but it was just 
me doing very untraditional ways of sort of breaking in. But it's, it's actually a brilliant way of doing it because mm -hmm. that is the thing, like that everyone wants to hear that someone else is interested and then yes. you're like the next thing. And it's yeah. like until one person's interested, it's very hard for the next person to yes. play it off. And you have to kind of play them off. And they want you to be vetted, right? Like they want to know they're not bringing in some rando that's going to yeah. waste their time, right? Yes. So now you've got your, your rep. Now I have the agents. Yes. Right. And I get so the agents and then I go back to HBO. Yeah, of course. And then bang, bang, like, bang. Hello, it's me again. Do, right. do you not remember me? No, please yes. remember me. <laughs> I know. And, and then they were like, wow, this is lovely, but we don't take fully financed, produced pilots. What other ideas do you have? So you oh. can pitch them that no one else has seen. And then right. you're like, okay, well, this is a cool opportunity. I will use this to pitch other projects, but this still doesn't help the show that I already have. No, because you told me you would take it if I had a rep. I, I got know. a rep. And now you're yes. like, well, no, we don't take it. What the fuck are you talking right. about? In right? order to get oh into God. the system, it felt like there were so many like, Hoops. like just, yes. And you're like going around in circles. But mm -hmm. each time I would get to that next level, another opportunity would open up. And right. from there, it ended up while the show was waiting to be sold and my agents were saying they were potentially doing things with it. I ended up getting hired to direct my first feature as a director for hire for somebody else's feature film. Mm. And that changed everything because it was never my plan to be a director, let alone a director for hire for, mm. you know, an adaptation of a Japanese video game based off of a PlayStation thing. Like it was like <laughs> totally wild. That is and wild. Yeah. And brilliant. And that's the one you can't tell us what it is. That one's called Root Letter. And that's that was, Letter, I did back to back yeah. features and this yeah. newest one, mid-century, I can say the name, I just can't say the studio. Fine. But Root Letter's not out yet. No, they're, in, no, okay, they're finishing cool. post with that one and then I just immediately jumped into the next feature, so. I love it, yeah, it's true. You're like, yeah, they'll get on with post for a bit. I'm doing another feature. <laughs> yes, I was like, I'm just gonna keep making movies because then I just fell in love with it, you know? Course, like right. directing and not having to think about money, mm -hmm. like that it was somebody else's money that I'm coming in at the point that it's fully financed and I just get to play and hire cool people. Like yeah. that's that's a dream. It's a dream, you know? isn't it? I was like, yeah. I don't have to sell my eggs anymore. Like, this is the best. because <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm running out. Your protégés are out in the world. Yeah, now. exactly. There's already, there's all totally. young ones of you coming through making films. <laughs> yes, and that's right. the problem. <laughs> my new competition. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a great point, though, about, about getting into the system and, and not getting deterred as well. And and I think I think a lot of people, like especially first-time filmmakers, think, okay, I'm going to go straight in and I'm going to get to Cannes. Oh, I'm going to yeah. get, yeah. get into H. HBO, I'm gonna. They're yeah. gonna make my movie, and a lot of the time, these these companies, they may just see you or hear you, and that you're on their radar. But at yes. that moment, there's no space. No, people track you for years before they mm -hmm. buy that show, yes, and exactly. people don't imagine that. And I was giving people every executive that I would meet. I would give them monthly updates. Like I won another screenwriting competition. I made a short that premiered at Santa Barbara mm -hmm. Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And I would do it again and again and again until yep. finally when studios were calling on my behalf, making offers to actors, everyone was like, oh, we knew Sonia O'Hara because I had been harassing them for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I wasn't making asks, right? Like I was just telling them like telling a fun them, yeah, update yeah. about my career, wasn't asking them to read a lengthy script or watch anything more than a trailer. Mm -hmm. So they were just like, okay, cool. We'll just track and see where she goes. Perfect. It's the best way to do it. That's also a great way for festivals as well. When you when you're applying to festivals to do that exact th same thing, just yes. keep giving them updates because if if you know there's there's two films and they like them equally and you're the one that's given them like five updates. It's getting buzz and getting traction, right? And they're like seeing that people are responding to it and you're sending reviews and all of that. So good. So, right, then, so we're there, right? Mm -hmm. We've got the edge, yep. but how still did we get it on telly? <laughs> so then after all of that, yeah. I ended up meeting our mutual friend, mm -hmm. Shaked, a mm -hmm. wonderful producer. Shaked Berenson, yeah. Yeah, who we absolutely love. Indeed. And Shaked was willing to work with me and got it on Apple TV and did all the work and it was an amazing thing. So that's you know, so great. Sometimes it's finding that person who believes in it, who yep. just had a more, he's such like a business money-minded human. And I was meeting all of these like theoretical artists that were like talking about the next project, the next thing I would make. And he was like, well, you have this thing. It is getting traction. It is winning awards. Like let's do the thing that you actually have. And that was so nice to hear. Yeah, so. Shaked's amazing. He runs the Entertainment Squad and also the Horror Collective, who yeah. uh, distributed The Dare in America. And he's a lovely guy and he's been on the podcast lots. And if any of you joined us in our clubhouse room, he was a regular... Uh, 
host and he was just brilliant at it and he's he's just a lovely guy he's really one of the good guys in the industry so if you can work with him then i would snap that up and i had met him three years before as an actress when i was at sundance with something and he didn't take me seriously as a filmmaker it took me giving him updates for years for him to see that i wasn't just an actress you know there you go and was and that film was i imagine on the corner of ego and desire it was yes it's such a great film it's so Thank fun you. you're brilliant in it as well <laughs> Thank it's you. really good yes uh, alex ferrari's brilliant brilliant film about being filmmakers at sundance shot at sundance yes this mumblecore very fun project yes fun fun (laughs) movie brilliant so that's how he got and then shaked took over put it onto uh amazon where it is now where you can watch it right now it's on amazon and apple tv and i don't know which other ones are available in the uk but yes it's there and you can watch it and it's it's really well made did you start the second season that's what it's called at the moment after you'd already got commissioned there is that when you then went back to do more or was it all finished yes well during quarantine i was going crazy when a couple of the films that i was attached to direct that had bigger budgets just got pushed like everything and i thought to myself i want to go back and make another episode of doomsday these are my favorite people Mm -hmm. sure i can't fly back to the catskills in new york but big bear california has a similar kind of like woodsy aesthetic okay so We rented a place on Airbnb and I flew in my actors and I was like, we're making a mini episode and we're just going to find a way to do this. And I was like testing people. And there was an actress who was who plays the cult leader and she's Mm -hmm. Swedish and she had to fly in from Europe and everyone just found a way to get there and quarantined and made the thing. And it felt so good to be creative and Mm -hmm. not in seclusion and. Yeah, and that was the episode that ended up getting the Daytime Emmy nomination. So it was like a weird thing of every time I would put more energy into the show, it would sort of pay me back in dividends, mm. which was nice. It's nice yeah. and says it all, doesn't it? For those people out there who go, no, it's not fair. I don't get my chances. Like make your own shit, make your own yes. chances, make shit happen. And then just keep on making more and more. And it might not be the thing that you think that will make you break through. It might be 10 things later, but by then you're more yeah. ready for the spotlight because your work is inherently better, right? Yes, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So mid-century and root letter. I'm not yes. sure which was first. Yeah, root letter. I went to Louisiana to go shoot that movie and that was a very cool experience and that stars um, an actor named Danny Ramirez who's about mm-hmm. to come out in the new Top Gun movie opposite Tom Cruise and his Amazing. career is blowing up and it's very yeah. exciting. Great for you as and well for your film Perfect Totally timing. I know so that's awesome. And were you director for hire on that one as well as Mid-Century? Yes so doing that back to back I find it very liberating directing other people's projects because it's it's very instinct based. Like I'll read a script, yeah. I will feel strongly about it, I will pitch it, and if when I'm pitching those producers respond to my vision, largely I don't get much pushback on other things later because we're on the same page. Because like I'm just coming up with like this is how I see this world. Yeah, it might not be right for you. And if it is right and you want to work with me on it, very cool. But I don't feel the level of stress and anxiety that I do when it's my own work that I've written, where it's like, I just care so deeply. I have a healthy remove with this. I'm like, this is a job. I want these people to be proud of this project, but I'm here to like serve you know, other collaborators. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same with with producing sometimes on other people's projects. Like, obviously, you deeply care about it, and it, it really comes down to whether you connect with the material. But right, it, it's it's slightly different to like your your heart and soul actually on the line when it's something you've been developing for like you know three or five years or you know however long it, your life experiences. Totally. Like I come in so late in the directing process. Like they've been developing this project forever. A lot of the time, they've commissioned a writer to come up with something based off of IP. It's this long drawn out thing. And when I come in, they have the money. Everyone's enthusiastic. And I get to come in and get like, get to yeah. make offers to actors. Like it's such mm-hmm. a cool job, it's, you know? It's the best place to be, right? You're coming awesome. in where everything's done, all the hard work. Well, not the hard, but do you know what I mean? All the finding the money. <laughs> yeah. It's been done, all this, t- that really tough. The painful you, work. The painful work. <laughs> yes, you don't know agreed. if the film's going to happen. You're there mm. going, well, this film's going to happen. I'm doing it. They're paying me to be here. Cool. Yeah. Oh, it's such a cool job. Like, I'm yeah, so yeah. grateful to be getting a lot of directing opportunities. And now I'm attached to direct three more features. And now it's finding, like, the time to do it all. And, and <laughs> Horrible problem to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the worst problem to have. It's very weird. Like, I, I keep on pinching myself. I'm like, I'm like very, very happy. <laughs> oh, so, good. That's huge. Yeah. Congrats. What did you learn you. 
from making Doomsday that you took with you to making Root Letter or Mid-Century? I mean, I think you're, you need to make work that you are passionate about and proud of. And I really was able to workshop my own scripts obsessively before I got them to set. So I knew what worked. I rehearsed. I got to workshop things with actors long before I got them to set. And on other people's movies, I rarely get the time to rehearse, right? Like they'll have the mm. name actor for a short amount of time. Often yep. the first couple days with a bigger actor, they're sort of looking at me like I'm a young looking girl. I'm short and and they're just like, they're like a little, there's like trepidation. And then a few days in after they see me giving great direction to other people, they warm up, they're willing to take risks and be vulnerable. But it feels like I don't have that initial camaraderie that I had with like this whole coterie of actors that I mm. did with my own projects. Mm. So I think it, having more time, like when I hear A-list directors who get like all of this time to rehearse with their cast, oh, I'm like, oh. such a dream because it elevates the work so much. Of course it does. Do you have those moments with those kind of bigger actors where sometimes you kind of have to like prove yourself or you feel yes. like you have to prove yourself before they'll yeah. like give you the respect? Like, is that just by being upfront with them or showing that you're, you're kind of in control, you know what you're doing? Like, what's... Have you had those experiences? Oh, yes, very much. I mean, I think that because I am always upbeat and bubbly on set, there's often an idea of a director as this like stern, serious, like mm. brooding mm. human that's assessing yes. everything silently. Yeah. And sometimes having a different approach makes people just sort of like, you know, they're taking in like new stimuli and they just... You know, it's and I thought for a while, OK, maybe I should trade this. Like maybe I should act like the directors I grew up watching. But I think that I get better performances out of people if I am authentically myself. And I'm mm. really and I am just dorkily excited when people do good work. And I don't want to have to mask my enthusiasm to be seen as like an adult or whatever. I mean, I think I think that's completely, completely right as well. And, and I think um, sometimes when you I, I'm, I think for me, it's it's about having that kind of authenticity and, and your humor showing through. And, you know, when mm. I'm on set and I'm directing, it's it's like you can kind of be honest with people because you're being real with them all the time. So yes. you can make a joke, you know, about something or you can kind of give them some direction. It's like it could be a compliment. It could be like, OK, let's work on this. But because you've been real with them and you haven't been too stern and too serious, if you do have to give like a, a difficult direction or like, OK, we need to work on this it isn't taken in the wrong way because you've kind of built that rapport. Absolutely. And we're in it together. And, you know, sometimes it's just giving them a take for them and me being like, I'd love to guide you and have you try this. And, you know, this might end up on the cutting room floor and like just having a sense of play. Mm. So that's a big one for me. And then I think that how you treat other people on set, like if you have, like I, I have a great relationship with my DP on set for every movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that when they see other people respecting you and you being like, it's it, people just pick up on that. They can take you seriously. I think if your crew is enthusiastic about you, you know, because yep. crews can rebel and there can be mutiny. Yep. And if, you know, yep. if you don't treat people well, that will come back to bite you. Yep, definitely. And one thing that was very hard for me, I normally will give people like a whisper in their ear a direction so I'm not potentially embarrassing them in front of the whole crew. Yeah. Do it better. <laughs> yeah, but masks and face shields oh, yeah. made yeah. it so challenging. So hard. Yeah. Like the actor Bruce Dern, is a, he likes to read lips. Uh, yeah, well, his hearing's, you know, he's an older man his now His hearing well. is yeah. going and he's yeah. absolutely so receptive to direction, but he can't hear you in a mask. Like he no. can't. So he would be like, little red haired girl, take off your mask. I would just like, take <laughs> the one time that I would take off my mask and yell yeah, the direction. And he has no ego and he's like the coolest human. Great. But, yeah. You know, I love so. that little red haired girl, take off the mask. <laughs> he's the best. So, yeah. so cool. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. I like being cool quiet to actors as well and whispering and saying yes because you don't want to embarrass them you don't no, want never and it's always nice to surprise the other actors with what yes, you might yes. ask them to do you don't want to give it away to tell the Completely. other actor what they're going to expect with this new direction because those are the best moments right exactly right. Yeah. yeah yeah how brilliant oh, it sounds like you know you've had a fantastic journey and you're going to carry on this journey um what i mean you gave us some great advice there what bad advice do you often hear oh my gosh when people are talking about writing things to follow trends in the industry as opposed oh. to writing stories that matter to them. Yes. I just see people that are going to have infinitely disappointing careers where they don't even make things they're proud of. Yeah. Their thing probably won't sell. They're like chasing an idea of what is popular. And mm -hmm. 
I just write the stories that excite me because I'm not going to, you you're, you have to be with your film for so many years to get it made. So many, yeah. And if you're following a trend that you already sort of resent and hate and think like, oh, well, that shitty film got made because it was like trending and it was about vampires. By the time your movie gets made, everyone's going to hate that thing. You'll have hated it mm-hmm. and you'll just be unhappy. So I think write yeah. what you are obsessed with. Yes, yes, definitely. Yes, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it, it has to be something that, that you know, it, it counters all of the, the pain and hardship of getting a movie made. It has yes. to be something that's so, like, encompassing that that's the only thing you can do. Not, yes. like, well, this might work or this might work. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to be able to actually convince people with your passion, you know, even if it is on trend. Completely. Right. It's People yeah. see an inauthenticity a mile away. So. Yeah. And then I think people being afraid that they always think that they're not quite at a point where they deserve to have agents and managers like there. There's like two sides of it. There are people that think they deserve it immediately and are entitled. And that's obviously not a healthy thing either. But I know many talented women, especially that are directors that are like, well, I had a short that went to a major festival or whatever, but I haven't made that feature yet. So I don't deserve X things so they don't pursue opportunities that if they would just go and, you know, like ask mm. for it. Like when mm. I ask for things, I there's so many times that I'm just people are receptive and I'll get the opportunity, you know? It's true. You gotta ask. Yeah. If you don't yeah. ask, you don't get. Yeah. No, I mean, did did you ask the lady in the cat skills for the uh with for the place? Or did she offer? <laughs> you just took it. it. I mean she offered it, but then I don't think she actually thought I was gonna take her up on it. <laughs> And then I'm sending her an email being like, hey, like my troop is going to be like descending on your house. Like, is this cool? Oh, and she's like, oh, suddenly her email doesn't work. And yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think she was a little overwhelmed, but like charmed, but also like she ended up just like leaving us with the farm, as she called it, and went oh. back to the city because she found us a lot. But she was very kind. <laughs> <laughs> Huge congratulations. Doomsday is it's brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Thank like I say, you. the performances, the darkness, the twistedness of it, the beautiful gaze uh, that you put on it um, in terms of how you portrayed sexuality and women. And it's just, just beautiful. And bodies as well, men's body. Brilliant. So well done you. And she, I can't you. wait to Huge see well done, yeah. mid-century. They both sound oh, I appreciate it. Really excited. So excellent work. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. This was really a joy. So listen, you can go out there and make your film. You can make it happen. Believe in yourself. Ask questions. Find the project you're passionate about and do it. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, make sure you send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday as always. Sonia O'Hara, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sonia. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Take care, everyone. All the best. Bye. We hope you liked today's episode. If you want to hear more, visit our Patreon for bonus clips and exclusive content.